Amen. Amen. Welcome to Centennial Church. So glad that you're here this morning. My name is Ross. I'm the pastor here at Centennial. And we're just thrilled that you are here to worship with us this morning. And not just worship with us, but in fact, join a chorus of millions of people. In fact, millions of people this morning that are gathering together in churches around the world to worship the risen Christ. And it's not just something that millions of people are doing this morning, but it's in fact something that millions of people have done for the past 2,000 years. Set aside this day, set aside in fact this week, this holy week to worship and celebrate the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we are celebrating this morning. And in fact, this whole week, beginning with Palm Sunday last week, we set aside this week for this celebration. And perhaps uh, you, like me, or many of us this week have been a bit distracted from this celebration. There's lots of other things going on, lots of other things this week that are, that are perhaps grabbing for your mind, uh, some of them being perhaps March Madness or uh, presidential politics, things like that. Other celebrations, in fact, uh, on Tuesday, there was a celebration in my family. My parents, actually on Tuesday, celebrated their 47th wedding anniversary. How about that? Yeah. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a big deal, it's kind of a big deal today, 47 years, and kind of a big deal also that I forgot to call them that day. Uh, forgive me. Uh, so anniversary celebrations, things going on there, obviously on a much heavier note, this week was another act of terror in our world. Perhaps you heard about uh, our president landing in Cuba for a historic visit. And on a much lighter note, perhaps some of you were in the theaters Friday to celebrate some big movie that's a big deal to a lot of people about superheroes. Anyone? Anyone? Uh, so lots of things going this week. One of the things that you may not have heard about this week in the headlines, this may have not reached you, but this last week was also another anniversary, and it was the anniversary, the 10-year anniversary of Twitter. Twitter. How many of you, most of you have probably heard about Twitter. Maybe you don't know much about it. You're not on it. But here's what you should know about Twitter, okay, uh, before we get to the serious stuff. There are actually... According to Twitter, 305 million monthly active users of Twitter, okay? I would say that everyone under 18 in this room is on Twitter today, okay? 305 million active users of Twitter monthly. Uh, the basic deal with Twitter is you got 140 characters a hashtag. Some of you grew up with a pound sign, okay? That used to be called a pound sign. Now it's called a hashtag, okay? So a musical person told me earlier, no, that's actually a sharp sign is what that is, okay? Uh, so anyway, the hashtag, 140 characters, and you can follow what people are doing, follow your favorite sports teams. You can, you can go on Twitter and see what your, what your friends are eating for lunch because they're taking a picture and posting it on Twitter, Twitter, 10-year anniversary, and it kind of has taken our world. Twitter has. You might be interested, perhaps you're not, of who has the most followers on Twitter. Well, I did some research this week, and here are the top 10 people on Twitter. Number one, Katy Perry, and you might be surprised that she's beating out Justin Bieber. 
big surprise uh, to you, perhaps. What you need to understand, yes, uh, our president only comes in four, Lady Gaga, he's beating her out. Uh, but anyway, one thing that I should clarify about this, Justin Bieber, while only second, okay, if you look at the number of tweets that he actually sends out, it's 37 or 30,000, which is triple uh, what some of these other people are tweeting, double the president, okay? So uh, Bieber, he may not be number one, but he's letting you know what's going on with him, okay? Uh, just by comparison, a little bit of perspective, I mean, that's millions of followers, 84 million followers. Uh, just to give you a little comparison, a little perspective, as of this morning, I also am on Twitter, and I checked this morning, I am on Twitter, and I have 56 followers, okay? So uh, just... A little perspective there. Uh, the Pope is on Twitter. Uh, the CIA actually has a, a Twitter account. I was interested to learn this week that the very first tweet from CIA says this. We can neither confirm nor deny that this is our first tweet. Isn't that clever? But hey, get this. Before, uh, before Twitter, there was what? There was Facebook. Before Facebook, there was what? MySpace. Before there was MySpace, there were What? Billboards and bumper stickers. Do you remember a world that was just billboards and bumper stickers? Maybe you remember some of the most popular a long time ago. One that was really popular was uh, Imagine World Peace. Maybe you've still seen that. Some people took a spin on that and said, stop the violence, visualize world peace. Uh, maybe you haven't seen that. Uh, around here, around Texas, uh, oftentimes you'll see the ones that say, keep Austin weird, which is definitely being fulfilled. Keep Austin weird. Uh, other popular ones, you may have seen, you know, the one that says my, my daughter and my money go to the University of Baylor or something like that. Uh, a long time ago, I often see the ones, you know, my son is an honor student at whatever middle school, right? You've seen that one? Not one that my parents ever had uh, on their bumper. Uh, I like the one that's a spinoff of that though, that says my son beat up your honor student. Uh, you like that? Uh, more appropriate, perhaps. But uh, so these things have been around. Obviously, uh, they have a religious nature sometimes too. Uh, one that uh, spinoff of the of the fish, the Christian fish, is one you often see Darwin. Uh, you see that around. There's also one that's very popular. Uh, I'm sure all of you have seen it. That says coexist. That has all the religious uh, symbols, or many of them. In fact, that uh, is popular. Coexist. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. There's another one. I don't have a slide of this one, but you've seen this one perhaps if you've driven up behind someone that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. You seen that one? I'm not sure what he thinks about you being his co-pilot. Uh, perhaps he'll tell you one day, but uh, Jesus is my co-pilot. Another religious one. Uh, in case of the rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned. Have you seen that one? Warning. Uh, the ones that are... Uh, really popular now. It used to be baby on board. Now you see all those stick figures of the three kids and the two parents and the dog behind the stick figure. Here's our family. Uh, the baby on board, obviously very popular. True story. A couple of weeks ago, I was following behind a car and I, they had this, a, a spinoff of the baby on board thing, except it said, adults on board, we want to live too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's, that's very clever. That's, that's, that's good. I like that. Um, there's also, in a religious nature, there's, there's others that I've seen that have been powerful. Religious, you, there was a God campaign a while back of uh, billboards where there were quotes from God that just said, hey, I've been here all along. Uh, another one that says, follow me, God. Um, perhaps the bumper sticker, though, that is my absolute most hated bumper sticker, uh, 
the worst bumper sticker ever, sorry if I'm offending you here, but the bumper sticker that simply says 26.2. You people make me sick, okay? Just take your fitness and health and keep it to yourself, okay? I don't need to follow you. Don't put that on your bumper sticker. I, I, bring, I bring that all up this morning uh, to you because Twitter, bumper stickers, billboards, they have this way of saying a bit of information that's concise, that's, that's brief. Sometimes it's just plain silly or just funny. But other times, a slogan, a statement, a bumper sticker, even a tweet, in fact, can be powerful, full of meaning, pregnant with meaning and power in what it is communicating. And I say that this morning because at the center of our story, at the center of the passage that Bob read for us just a few minutes ago, is a short statement that is packed full of meaning and, in fact, power. A statement that has divided history into two phases, B.C. and A.D. Three words that have actually transformed millions of lives. And those words simply, he is risen. He is risen. It comes in Matthew chapter 28. If you have a Bible, you might want to grab it. Uh, This will be on the screens as well. But Matthew chapter 28, Bob read this uh, for us earlier. But the crux of it in verses 5 and 6 is the women go and they visit the tomb of Jesus, uh, beginning in verse 5, says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, He is not here For he has risen, as he said. He is not here. He has risen. He is risen. Three words full of power. Three words that have transformed history and transformed millions of lives. He is risen. Brief, but powerful, concise, and at the center of Christianity at the very foundation of Christianity. You could call it not a tweet or not a slogan, but in fact, a creed. A creed that says, he is risen, Jesus is risen. The word creed simply means, I believe. A creed is something that we believe. And for thousands of years, Christians have made this claim, professed this creed, if you will, he is risen. It's at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. Perhaps you grew up in church and you went to church and you recited the Apostles' Creed or maybe the Nicene Creed. These are long paragraphs that uh, often Christians have said to remind them of what they believe. If you grew up a Presbyterian, you might have heard of the Westminster Confession, this long document that details what Christians believe. Lutherans have theirs. Methodists have theirs. Anglicans have theirs. I have up here with me this morning. This is the confession. This is the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, how thick it is. All of those confessions, the Roman Catholic Confession, the Presbyterian Confessions, the Apostles' Creed, at the center of all those creeds, at the basis of all those creeds, there are three words. He is risen. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation point of all Christian faith. It is either true or it is a sham. It is either absolutely true or it is a total sham. 
I want to make two points basically this morning for us. Two points. And that is that the claim that the resurrection of Jesus, the claim he is risen, is utterly unique and if true, necessitates, demands, in fact, worship and witness. Okay? He is risen. It is utterly unique. First of all, it is utterly unique. The claim of Jesus that he was going to rise from the dead, that he was the son of God, and that he would rise from the dead, the claim of his followers, that the, that the tomb was empty, he is risen. It is the bedrock of Christian faith, and it is utterly unique. What other religious leader can you go to their tomb and the claim is that they were risen? They're no longer here. None but Jesus. The Buddha died. Muhammad died. Joseph Smith was a leader of the Mormon church. He died and his tomb. No one, uh, no one accused the tomb of being empty. Only Jesus' tomb was discovered empty. The only thing that you had to do to cause Christianity to falter in the first century would be to produce Jesus' body. To say, here it is, it was stolen, it was taken. But utterly unique to the Christian faith is a resurrected Savior, an empty tomb. That's utterly unique, unlike any other world faith. And it's also unlike any other world faith that Jesus came and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus would claim to his followers at the death of one of his friends, Lazarus, he would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. See, every other religious leader basically did this. Every other religious leader basically came and said, hey, let me show you the way to live. Let me point you to truth. Let me point you to life. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus upped them all, raised the bar and said not Hey, let me show you the way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am not a religious leader pointing the way. I am the way. I can't just show you how to have life. I am life. And that is utterly unique. And what it means that Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, what it means that there was an empty tomb is that the claims of Jesus are either true or false, but there's nothing in between. It is either the absolute truth or it is a sham. Jesus is either God in the flesh or he's a crazy man. Those are your options. He said, I am God in flesh. I have come that you might have life. He is either speaking the truth or he is a liar. He is a crazy man. There is no other alternative. He didn't just say, I'm a good teacher. He claimed to be God and the tomb was empty and this is utterly, utterly unique. And millions of people have believed it for 2,000 years. Why? Because the tomb was empty. There, there were, in fact, other people that would claim to be messiahs, saviors in the first century, Jewish leaders that would rise up and say, I'm the messiah. And guess what would happen to them? They would die and their followers would fall away and the movement would be no more. What was unique about Jesus? What is unique about Christianity? That those first followers and thousands after them would give their life 
on the claim that the tomb was truly empty, that it really happened. And 2,000 years later, there is no one in history, there is no one on Twitter that has more followers than Jesus Christ has had followers in the history of mankind. No one. His influence is unparalleled. And it all comes back to the fact that the Jewish carpenter taught, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and three days later could not be found until he appeared to his disciples and 500 others, as the scriptures would tell us, and then ascended to heaven. And the people that witnessed it, the people that followed him, went around the world and changed the world and transformed history and transformed lives because of the resurrection. He is risen. It is utterly unique. And secondly, if true, demands worship and witness. It demands worship and witness. Look with me again at verse 9 of Matthew chapter 28. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 28, it says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. He's meeting the, the women that are now leaving the tomb. He appears to them and says, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. The risen Jesus appears to this, these women. And what is their response? To fall on their face, to fall on their knees, to grab his feet. And as the scriptures say, worship him. Because if he is really risen, if he is really who he claimed to be, the only logical option is to fall at your knees and worship Jesus. Otherwise, it's crazy. If he hasn't risen from the dead, we are wasting our time this morning. You might as well have slept in. This is a Sunday morning gone to waste. Every Sunday that you would worship, any time that you would read the scriptures or pray to Jesus is, is a royal waste of time. But the scriptures would say, and his first followers would say, that he was worthy of worship because he was the risen Savior. And they worshiped him. And they gave their lives because they saw him. It transformed them and it transformed millions of others. C.S. Lewis will say it like this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. He's either the way, truth, and life. He's either the son of God, the risen savior, or he's a sham. But there's no middle ground. So what did those first followers do? They fell at their knees. They fell at his feet and they worshiped him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, the author of much of the New Testament, is honest about this. He says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, then we are wasting our time this morning. I am wasting my life. Your prayers are useless. In verse 17, the apostle Paul will say this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He's risen. He's risen indeed, or it's a big sham, and you should walk out of here and never return and never even attempt to worship him another day in your life. See, the bumper sticker coexists. Let's go back to that for a second. The bumper sticker coexists. I'm not sure what exactly people are trying to say when they put coexist on, on the back of their car. Uh, I, I think if they mean that all the religions should exist peacefully and uh, not war with one another, then amen, 
I'm all for that. And Jesus, the one who said, love your neighbor and in fact, love your enemies and treated those religious, uh, those who were religiously different than him with the utmost of respect. Jesus is all for that. But if coexist means, hey, all these religions are kind of equally true and none of, not one of them stands above the other, then false. That's not the option that Jesus gives us. And it's because of the resurrection. The tomb is empty. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then there's no other religion like him. There's no other leader like him. Coexist can mean peace, but it can't mean all roads lead to God because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And to seal that so that you will know it's true, I will go to the cross and I will defeat sin and death on the cross through my resurrection. It's utterly unique. It demands worship and witness. Folks, if you're here this morning, what Jesus wants from you is not just token respect. It's not just a prayer every once in a while, but what he wants, what the resurrection demands is not respect, but absolute worship to bow down and follow him, to put all of your life and all your possessions and all of who you are at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you alone are worthy of worship. You alone are worthy of life. Unique in your life, unique in your death, unique in your resurrection. We should either worship him or we should walk away. Those are the only logical options. Not only did they worship, though, they also witnessed. They also witnessed. If you look back in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 28, it says again, go and tell. Jesus is telling them. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. They worshiped, but they witnessed. Jesus said, worship. He accepted their worship as God, but he also said, go and tell. If Jesus is who he said he is, if the resurrection is true, if the tomb is empty, He's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our witness. Three times in this passage, it says, go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. Not just to worship privately, not just to worship personally in the quietness of your own self, but to worship even publicly, to tell Jesus is the one I follow. Jesus is utterly unique. It demand, the resurrection of true demands our worship as well as our witness. But not only is he worthy, but folks, he makes a difference for your life. He makes a difference for tomorrow. He makes a difference not just on Sunday, but on Monday. See, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, what is the purpose of life? If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then death is the end, is it not? The resurrection of Jesus brings purpose to life. It brings purpose to pain because it says death is not the end. And our purpose, therefore, is found in following Jesus and following this one, the only one who experienced death and conquered it and tells us what's on the other side, Jesus. The resurrection brings us purpose to life. It brings purpose to our pain, the Bible will also say that the resurrection, the power of the resurrection is available to all those who follow Jesus. 
So the truth of the teaching of the Bible is that if you trust in Jesus, if you fall down at his feet and you worship him, you are given through the power of the Holy Spirit, power to walk in obedience to God, to overcome the habits and the hangups and the addictions that you have. The Bible says that Jesus saves you through his death in the cross and his resurrection. And that if you follow him, you are given supernatural power to walk in this life that other people do not have. You have the power of God working in you, working in your relationship, working in your marriage, working in your struggles, working in your hangups, in your addictions. The resurrection brings hope. The resurrection brings purpose. The resurrection brings power. It means that death is not the end. Defeat is not the end. Sickness and cancer are not the end. But there's new life. There's resurrected life that waits for us. So you don't have to get it all now. You don't have to be a success now. You can actually be a failure now because this life isn't all there is. He went to death, he conquered death, and he says there's new life to come. One day, resurrection life will come to all of us. And incredibly important to us this morning is that the the death and the resurrection of Jesus brings to us, shows us, demonstrates to us his incredible love for us. That the Son of God, the one who is worthy of all worship, would come to this earth in flesh as a person, die on a cross as the penalty for our sin. The Bible says that he died on the cross for our sins, to forgive us of our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve. So this Holy Week, we are reminded in a very practical and the most demonstrative way possible that Jesus, the very one worthy of worship, hung on a cross to pay for our sins, to demonstrate his love for you and me, to bring us back to God. And so how can we look at the cross? How can we look at the empty tomb and not know that we are dearly, deeply loved by the God of the universe who came to this world, went to the cross and conquered our sin and death through his resurrection? Because here's the reality. Everyone in this room has problems. Everyone in this room right now has issues that you're dealing with. And... But I'm here to tell you that your biggest issue, folks, our biggest issue this morning is not political, is not economic, is not your career path, is not your rebellious children, is not your health, is not your cancer. The biggest problem that each of us face here this morning is ultimately our death. That it's all gonna end. 10 out of 10 still die. I mean, you can eat the kale, you can try the essential oils, you can juice, you can run that marathon, you can be fit, but guess what? One day you will die, just like 10 out of 10 people die. And the hope of the empty tomb, the hope of the cross and resurrection is that even though you die, if you believe in Jesus, there is life to come and there will be a kingdom that is new and perfect for all who have trusted in Jesus. That's either true or it's a sham. We should either fall down and worship him or we should walk out of here and never come back and never seek Jesus again. But there's not a middle ground. There's no in-between because of the costly death of Jesus 
and because of the utterly unique resurrection of Jesus. I can't say it better than a Puritan from long ago talked about Christ's love for us through the cross and through his death and resurrection. He said it like this. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. A thirst that I might drink. Tormented that I might be comforted. Made a shame that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness that I might have eternal life. My, sa- my Savior wept all tears that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. Groaned that I might have endless song. Endured all pain that I might have un- unfading health. Bore a thorned crown that I might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might up- uplift mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might live forever. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me will live even though he dies and then he turned to his friends and he said, do you believe this? I want to ask you this morning, do you believe this? Are you worshiping Jesus or are you just tipping your hat, paying him respect? Folks, the options are only two to fall down and worship, or to walk away and say, that guy is crazy. But there's no in-between. If we believe, we have hope. If we believe, we have the assurance of his love. And if we trust him, we have the assurance of life to come. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want you this morning to have the assurance of eternal life. To have the assurance of resurrected life with Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to partake of communion. We're going to take, partake of the Lord's Supper as we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. Next week, we are going to celebrate baptism, where we celebrate new life in Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have not experienced life in Christ, if you have not trusted in Jesus, but you have just tipped your hat, you give him respect, but not worship, I want to encourage you this morning to trust Christ, maybe right where you're seated, to say a simple prayer of faith to him and honor him as the unique God who died and was raised for you. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 will put together two short creeds. Romans 10, 9 says this. Just listen quietly as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that he's Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, If you will confess that, you will be saved. The first thing you need to know to come to a relationship with Christ 
is that you don't have a relationship with Christ. So I encourage you right now to think about it. Have you been trusting in Jesus or have you been trusting in church attendance? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or do you just have a religion? And I wanna give you a moment right now to just talk to Jesus. And you might wanna pray something silently like this as I pray it out loud. You just pray right where you're seated and say, Jesus, I have not worshiped you as you deserve. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for putting on flesh, for coming to this broken world, for living the perfect life that I should have lived and for dying on the cross for my sins, for taking my punishment. Jesus, I trust you right now as my savior and I wanna follow you with my life. Thank you for taking my sin and death and giving me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. All heads bowed, eyes closed. I just wanna ask you this morning, if you prayed that prayer with me, perhaps for the first time, or you rededicated yourself to really worship Jesus, I wanna ask you, as the scriptures say, to tell. I just wanna ask you right now, just to raise your hand up in the air where I can see it, that I have trusted in Jesus. Raise your hand where I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Keep them up, please, so I can just see. Praise God. Thank you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you this morning that you have so loved the world that that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you this morning. We celebrate this morning Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. Thank you so much, God, for your love, for your hope, for the life that you give us through Jesus. Lord, help us to worship you as you deserve. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.